Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of Citizen Dame, a podcast devoted to a lot of stuff. I, you know, <laughs> just becoming demoralized by things, but I'm trying to stay upbeat. Um, I Outrage. am I am the Eeyore of the group. I'm Kristen Lopez here with the more ebullient Karen Peterson. Hi. The perpetually angry Lauren Humphreys Brooks. <laughs> and the delightfully optimistic Kimberly Pierce. Oh, hello. And we got some uh, some messy men, some news, a uh, crap ton of trailers, and some stuff to discuss in the movie world. So let's get wait, the wait, garbage. Wait. First, I oh, got a on. question for Kim. Yes. Did he eat the okay. rabbit? <laughs> <laughs> he thought about it. He very much thought. About it. I told you. <laughs> yes. Kimberly, why don't you give us a few uh, brief thoughts about Peter Rabbit, which you saw while we were recording last week. You chose uh, a rabbit over us. If it's Donald Gleason, Donald Gleason, Even worse. he won out. Um, like, I believe the response I used in this one, like I've been using a few times this winter, has been I liked it in spite of myself. <laughs> I think one of the, um, I think one of the best Rotten Tomatoes reviews I saw said it's 2018, so you could totally believe that Peter Rabbit would sodomize someone with a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> um, they had some they had some little meta moments in there which were absolutely adorable. Uh, it the peak of it for me was when I sat back and started picturing General Hux taking on a horde of rabbits, <laughs> <laughs> and it that gave it all the humor it really needed. That's hilarious. Now that's well, all I'm going to picture next time I watch Star Wars Episode Nine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually put that in my review, saying you guys, it, when you see this, just picture General Hux, and this this is amazing. <laughs> I support it had this. a remarkably good response online. Like, I saw a lot more positive feedback about it than I ever expected. Yeah. That will... Me as well. I was really stunned because I didn't think it was absolutely terrible. I mean, bastardization of the books, yes. And I think I put that in my review. It's like, for the love of God, put the books out of your mind. But, you know, it's actually, there's parts of it that are legitimately cute. And I know I was laughing a few times. Awesome. So it was a million times better than I was expecting. Because I was expecting absolute horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe um, that's what it is. <laughs> What's well, always nice when you go in with low expectations. That's you know the best place to be because it can only it can go nowhere but up. That's and right, we're going to yeah. talk about low expectations later in our movie review section. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's get to some some messy garbage men. Uh, so out of the way. Yeah. So not a whole lot of. Names that you're gonna be like, who's that person? So let's get the one of the bigger names, the least messy thing I think we can talk about, which is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Quentin, why do you do this to me, man? Cause like, you and I've met. I like meeting you, and then you do me like this, and I have to talk shit about you, rightfully so. Like, dude, you have one job, one job. Okay, so 
we have two Quentin Tarantino kind of apologies here. Um, well, one really isn't an apology, one is. So he came out after Uma Thurman had posted that article, um, or that, that interview with Maureen Dowd, um, where she talks about how he put her in unsafe situations while filming Kill Bill, um, including having her drive a car that crashed. Um, she felt she wasn't going to walk. There's, there is video for that too, by the way, um, and that he had to do scenes where she was spit on and choked. He did that himself. Um, so, uh, he did an, another interview with, uh, Mike Fleming of Deadline, whose name you might recall if you've ever wanted to hear what somebody, some man accused of harassment has to say in their defense. He's kind of like that guy. Um, Mike Fleming's written glowing articles about Casey Affleck refuting his claims and other people, um, yeah. So, Quentin Tarantino's apology, quote-unquote, was that he never felt she was completely unsafe. The stunt in particular, you know, she had a license to drive a car, and he thought that was good enough. Which he kind of felt was like a slight, like, women can't drive. Um, it's just, I don't know. Um, it was really a non-apology. It was just kind of him contextualizing his logic. Um, and that he didn't really understand. He thought they were coolsies. And they were not. Um, and then there was another article that came out because audio from an interview that he had done in 2003 where he had pretty much defended Roman Polanski and then said that the 13-year-old victim was asking for it. Um, he actually apologized and said that he was completely misinformed. It was not something he should have joked about and that he is sorry. So we got two very different apologies here for two very different topics. The Polanski stuff, I think, is the, the thing we can get out of the way. Or at least I feel like we can get it out of the way. It was an interview from 03. Yeah. It's had over 10 years to circulate. And it's not the only comment he's made defending Roman Polanski in some form. And he's not we, the only one that says He's not the like only. Ex and it exactly. doesn't seem like for whatever reason, whether it was willful or I don't know what, but it seems like a lot of people just didn't understand what re what Polanski really did back, you know, going more than 10 years ago, for whatever reason. I don't know. The information was all out there, but it still seems like people just kind of ignored the facts. <laughs> now people can't do that anymore, but... Well, and, and we see this a lot with, like, old interviews of people coming back regarding Polanski, or even, to throw out my precious love, Army Hammer, um, you know, even just having an interview that's not completely denouncing and, like, trying to work out your process, people automatically assume that you're a Polanski defender. And there are many a Polanski defenders still in Hollywood. Um, and showing how far these interviews go back, they've been around for years. I mean, we gave Polanski an Academy Award within that time, I think. So... Mm -hmm. 20, 20 years ago, at most. No, it yes. was he won for The Pianist. Yeah, The Pianist. And, uh, yeah. What was that? Oh, I was, a, I was thinking 98 initially, but maybe 03. I think it was 03. It was within the time frame that Tarantino made those comments. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Really look at dates. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to trash him. It was the 2003 him, Oscars. It, that yeah. came out in 02. Yeah. So if you're going to trash him, I, I'm always of the group trash him for something he's done recently. I mean, Gary Oldman, I knew, was a wife beater for years. Um, and I've always <laughs> known that. And I've mentioned that when I talk about Gary Oldman. So, you know, for me to have come out after 
those reports that that you know brought it up now i'd be like dude where have you been for like his entire career so yeah the other tarantino apology though well it's not really an apology for uma thurman the the explanations what did we all think of that uh um I, I mean, I, I think I've, I've been pretty vocal about my feelings about Tarantino, which are partially shaped by the fact that I'm not a huge Tarantino fan to begin with. Uh, but the, the whole thing that, you know, one of the things that's been brought up is that Uma Thurman has said that they're okay, that the two of them are, are all right with one another now. And that's fine. And I, but I don't think that that undercuts or says anything more about um, the way that we should be reacting to what Tarantino did. It's quite obvious that he is willing to endanger, whether, whether you know, consciously or not, he's willing to endanger and to harm even his actors, and particularly his actresses, uh, in order to get the shot. And that's a problem. This is an issue that keeps on coming up with Tarantino. And given the things that he depicts in his films, it's, it's something that needs to be talked about. His apology is, I, I said this uh, earlier, and I think a number of people have said it, uh, it seems like he's trying to protect his legacy, that he knows that he's on his way out. He knows that you know he probably isn't going to be making films for much longer. He said that publicly. And now this, new, this thing comes up that happened many years ago that is, is becoming a part of the Me Too conversation, is becoming a part of the Hollywood abuse conversation, and he's in the center of it. And he wants to be certain that that is not going to tarnish whatever film, cinematic legacy he leaves behind. Um, it's, it's a problem. Like, his, his behavior on set is a problem. The fact that he, he basically bullied uh, Uma Thurman into driving a car, which by both of their accounts sounds like what he did, right? Just reading both his interview and, and the interviews that she has given about this. You can't ignore that. You can't deny it. And you can't say that like this cult of the director that we formed around men like Tarantino is is an excuse for being abusive to your stars. Right. Well, that's all we have yeah, to say I'm about sorry. Tarantino this week. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm sorry. I just like went off. No, no, no. no. I mean, I've said it better myself. Yeah. We, we exactly. seem to have a, a special Tarantino subsection every week of the, the garbage men discussion. So... It seems appropriate. Um, so moving on to uh, other other garbage men. This came out, I think, after we recorded last week. But um, it was uh, revealed courtesy of The Hollywood Reporter that uh, Vincent Ciriccioni was uh, going was brought up on charges. Nine women accused him of sexual misconduct in a Washington Post story. And we talked about that story last we week. We did. So. Um, mm-hmm. And that uh, now it's being announced that his management company is going to close. If you don't know the name, it's not surprising. Um, he is responsible for having discovered Halle Berry and uh, is the current manager of Taraji P. Henson. And it brought up a lot of questions about women of color reporting these allegations. And we're seeing this slow trickle-down effect to harassment not just at directing and executive but managing i mean i think we talked about this a lot in the last episode is that you know the ratio of men to women in hollywood is disproportionate so women and i I wrote an article about this just the other day that karen read women put their lives in you know male hands when they enter hollywood whether it's a director or a manager or an agent or something like that so you know, it's great that we got one less, you know, agency that's going to harass its members, um, but just continues to show how male-dominated Hollywood is. Well, yeah, but this is also a, a 
good example of when people finally are able to speak out and they're given this opportunity to come forward and be upfront about what happened to them. There are consequences. Yes. You can't get away with this bullshit forever. And I'm glad we that hope. this guy is being basically run out of town for what he did because he deserves to go. Here, here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're still waiting on those Weinstein charges. Exactly, so. exactly. Uh, <laughs> DA has five to pick from, so hopefully it's coming. So the next bit of news, because I'm going to leave the, the sad news to the end, um, but this came courtesy of uh, Splinter News, and I know Lauren has thoughts about this, but uh, it was an article... <laughs> discussing the history of abuse, uh, assault, and harassment that is being minimized through the Alamo Draft House. Now, you might remember one of our first episodes was about the Alamo Draft House and Devin Faraci. And it was our first episode. Yes, and since yeah. that episode, 21 episodes ago, Alamo's been fine. <laughs> they haven't done any, they haven't made any long-term changes short of like saying that they were going to talk to members and do something that seemed sounded like it was sensitivity training. Um, meaningful conversations. Meaningful conversations, <laughs> thank you. Um, and that was about it. Farachi got his job back uh, before he lost it again. That was about it. But he still got a public forum on a PBS if documentary. If lost it the first time. Exactly. <laughs> um, and in case people were curious, there was a big thing on Twitter, not to deflect, we're going to come back to this, but it kind of goes with it. Um, somebody was posting that on Twitter that Harry Knowles must have multiple accounts under different people's names because he was posting reviews that were in at cool reviews under different names. They were the same tweets, just under different accounts. And oh then he God. deleted them. Ew. He deleted them when people caught on to it. Um, so Harry Knowles hasn't gone away either. Well, he never even pretended to go away. Well, he That's said his, about Harry his, sister, yeah. his sister was going to run the site. His right, the site. But like on Twitter, he's never stopped. Nope. So yeah, at least, at least Farachi like closed his account. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, really, I guess it does tie back in these these people that instigated this never got any punishment, and with Alamo doing what it's still doing, I mean, the, the article pretty much says they're not really doing a whole lot to protect women at all in oh, their establishment. Oh, but Kristen, Devin Farachi doesn't have a job now, and he's sleeping on a friend's couch. Oh, God. Really? consequences. I've, you know, somebody needs to watch that Amy Schumer sketch where she's playing the war video game, and she gets raped, and they ask her, like, something, do you want to press charges? You know he has a family, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's that whole thing. Okay, well, I'm so sorry the one white guy has to sleep on someone's couch yeah but but lauren i know you were tweeting about this article specifically what are your thoughts <laughs> i mean i think the, unfortunately i think that my thoughts are just a repetition of the thoughts that we've continued to say ever since this goddamn podcast began and we had to talk about this every week uh i mean i'm i'm sick of it one of the issues with alamo draft house is that you know it's been held up as this um this sanctuary uh theater like you know you go there and they don't tolerate talking in their theaters. They don't tolerate cell phone use. You know, it's this, it's been built up as this place that film lovers can go and you can see, you can see screenings of new films. You can see older films. Uh, you can have, you know, all sorts of interesting stuff going on. And, and of course, and, and it's come out. And this is stuff that has been known for a while by the management of Draft House, by the, by Tim League and his wife, that they have been, they've been, protecting abusers and making excuses for abusers 
And this is very significant in view of the behavior that they had around Farachi and around Knowles and around Fantastic Fest, that they've constantly covered this stuff up or tried to sweep it under the rug or tried to ignore it. And, and so you're essentially saying that 50% of their, their filmgoers, so every woman that walks, I feel like every woman that walks into or works at an Alamo draft house is in danger at some level, is it at least in danger of something happening to her and the management of the draft house at the very, very top are going to be like, well, but but be nice. Be nice to the guy that you know said nasty things to you. Or be nice to the guy that tried to grab you. Um, be nice to the guy that maybe tried to rape you. You know, you don't know how far this is actually going to go. And the fact that they are still being defended by a a subsection of film Twitter by the fact that they're still being said like oh well well what can we do you know we have to protect draft house we have to protect this this space just like why draft house is is one is one uh chain of theaters this is not the only place that you can go to watch movies and sometimes we're gonna have to give up stuff that we really love in order to make progress and and this sort of thing is it, I, it's unconscionable i don't know how, how anyone could defend them i don't get it i still don't get it Exactly. And it yeah. it's it makes me so angry every time I see someone use that whole concept of like, well, but this is sacred. Like, no, it's not sacred. It's a place that is not protecting women at all. And it's it's something that I mean, if they're if they go away, someone else is going to, you know, come in. It's not like this is the end of an era if Draft House disappears. But it's not even about making Draft House go away. They need a change of leadership more than anything. Yeah. What really mm -hmm. gets me is, and this is something that I had seen a tweet yesterday. Sorry, I can't remember who it was. I can find it if you want me to. But um, someone was saying how weird it was that no one ever talks about it. And I was just like, um, we have. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like, we're, we're the only ones that are talking about it in a realistic way, other than to be like, oh, no, save Draft House, you know? We're the only ones, that, as far as I've been able to know and, and see, unless if there's other people talking about it, too, I'd love to know about it. But, like, I feel like we're the only ones that are condemning these guys for not protecting women and for not doing what needs to be done. And... I'm sorry, I know that they've done a lot of great things, but Tim League needs to go. It's time. He needs to go. He needs to hand the reins over to someone else that is going to take this company forward if they're going to save it. I mean, look what happened to Cinefamily here in L.A. It's because they didn't change leadership when they should have, and now they're gone. Yeah, it, it just seems... I, I really don't understand the, this this desperate desire on the part of a lot of a lot of high profile critics and editors also to protect Draft House to make certain that nothing happens to Draft House or to Fantastic Fest when it's been quite obvious that they 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 don't they want to to do as little as possible yeah and as long as like you know and I'm sorry at some point at some point something truly criminal is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, a woman is going to be raped and she's going to bring charges and it's going to have happened at a draft house or at Fantastic Fest or involved with all of this. And it's going to become a much bigger legal matter for them than just like, well, we're going to revise our sexual harassment policy. And there's going to be a it's, lawsuit and that accuser is going to end up owning draft house well, if, they're and, not, and the if thing, they don't change this. The thing to think of is, especially right now, draft house is yeah. on the spot. Why? Because Tim League 
is a co-founder of Neon, the studio, yeah. uh-huh. who is has put out the Oscar-nominated film I, Tonya. So, you know, they, they're building this brand, and it's getting bigger, and it's getting bigger. And if something goes wrong at, at Draft House, it threatens all of that. So why put yourself in that position? Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, in a, in this maybe sounds like a weird comparison, but in some ways it reminds me of situations like with Tarantino, who has known about all these horrible things that horrible people have been doing for years and didn't do anything about it. Now he's finally facing the music for some of it. And it's like, there are a lot of people, and this is all part of this culture. You know, there are a lot of people that for various reasons, because it's promoting their own careers, because they are surrounded by powerful people, they won't just come out and speak out against these these people and actually try to make changes. And that's how we've gotten to this point after decades of of systematic abuses in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. This this has to end and we have to stop we had I we've said this before so many times and it's like I can't believe we have to keep on repeating this the people who are protecting these abusers are complicit in this. And that includes everybody who stands up and be like, well, I like draft house no matter what. Yeah. Right. I like draft house. And, and it's like, okay, so you're essentially saying that the fears and the anxieties and the pain of women, both being afraid of being uh, abused and who have been abused don't count in terms of what, in terms of your right to sit and watch a movie in a comfy chair and not have anyone text around you. Just like, that is such a paltry excuse. That is such a, a low, that's such a low bar. It's, it's just, it's disgusting. And, and I'm like, okay, you, you don't give a shit about me. You know, you don't give a shit about my friends. Uh, you don't care about any of the women around you. So you know what? I, I, I keep on saying this to people on Twitter, sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up. I'm so tired of hearing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And until it stops, until something changes, I, I don't I don't want to listen to these guys, and it's it's not just guys either. It's it's women too. There mm-hmm. a lot of the loud defenders of both Fantastic Fest and Draft House have been women and female critics who are in the boys' club and really don't want to sacrifice these little spaces that they've managed to carve out for themselves. And they're not allies, right? It, exactly. <laughs> well, moving on to uh, right. the last. <laughs> The last section, um, I'm, I'm glad somebody included this because it's something I, I wanted to talk about. You know, we talk a lot about garbage men in the industry, but we're seeing some trickle down that is very frightening <laughs> to me. So if you aren't keyed into film Twitter, um, or at least the, the nitty gritty of film, you might not have heard that Jill Messick uh, committed suicide on... What day was Wednesday. this? Wednesday. Wednesday. Jill Messick is not a name that you would probably know commonly. Um, she was a producer. She was also Rose McGowan's former manager back uh, when Rose McGowan first started. And well, she produced Mean Girls. She produced a lot Mean of people Girls. Know that movie? So, okay, so I mean, there you that, go. This is who mm-hmm. we're talking about. That's thank you for giving me something because um, I was trying to think of something that she had produced. Um, but she uh, originally started out as Rose McGowan's manager, and if you have been following the Rose McGowan story, Rose McGowan claims that when she was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein, she had told Jill Messick and that Jill Messick did nothing and then later took a job that was offered to her by uh, Miramax. And the implications were just kind of already there. And now that uh, Jill Messick has, has committed suicide, 
the story is as told by her family is coming out and it's very frightening to hear um according and it doesn't really match his match no it does not and strangely we've been slowly talking about how rose mcgowan is really just kind of sinking her own ship last week we talked about her uh getting a trans woman kicked out of a book signing for asking her about her thoughts on trans women in the me too movement and her response was just horrid um but according to jill messick's family she her their story was in 97 she was an entry-level manager at a, a company her first client was rose mcgowan she set up a breakfast meeting for harvey weinstein and rose mcgowan during sundance and that after that encounter, Rose McGowan told her uh, that she had made the decision to remove her clothes and get in a hot tub with him. Um, a mis- something she regretted, but the word rape was not uttered in that conversation. But Jill Messick knew that what Harvey Weinstein had done was inappropriate. It was not illegal, but she said that it was inappropriate. And she immediately went to her bosses at this uh, management company, told them Rose McGowan's story, and insisted that they do something. They told Jill Messick that they would handle it. Nothing. Uh, there was negotiations, according to them, without Jill Messick's knowledge. And that's how we know that Rose McGowan ended up getting um, some type of settlement from him. She, Jill Messick assumed that the matter was settled and didn't know any other details after that until they happened publicly. Ten months later, she did get a call from Miramax um, to take a job there as an executive working in production um, that it had nothing... It, to do with with anything that had happened between the two between Rose McGowan and Harvey Weinstein she took the job allegedly now that Rose McGowan is promoting this book and and her television show she the family claims she's thrown Joe Messick under the bus um Harvey Weinstein has as well because she uh Joe Messick wrote Harvey Weinstein an email prior to the publication of the New York Times piece and at his request I think that's really important um and in the email she offered quote, the truth based on what she remembers Rose telling her about the Sundance account and that because Harvey Weinstein had been taking it in the shins from Rose McGowan, he released that email without Joe Messick's consent, which pretty much looked like she was defending him. So both of these people took advantage of a woman who was knowingly bipolar and manic depressive and caused her, I mean, if you want to be blunt and I'll be blunt, drove her to kill herself because of the guilt that she felt and the stress. You know, and I don't like to use the comparisons to HUAC because I think that they're being misappropriated. But if people remember the House and American Activities Committee, nine people died from that, from stress-induced injuries. Uh, John Garfield dropped out of a heart attack at 39. So I mm-hmm. I'm, don't think it's unfair to say that, you know, we're coming to a really ugly crossroads, especially spearheaded by one person who... I will believe Rose McGowan's claims until they are proven otherwise, but she is abusing her situation in this. And I think Mm -hmm. we're seeing some real consequences. And I think it's important to point out that women are affected in this at all levels. It is not just the victims, although their voices are the most important. But you look at someone like Jill Messick or the women that have come forward and said that they had to procure women for Harvey Weinstein. We all know how precarious a job is as a woman in this world. And to tell your boss yep. no, who is a man of power, what that's just as much of a rock in a hard place. I've had people say, oh, well, you, they could have quit. Oh, they could have done something. And then done what? You know, that's really easy for a man to say to a woman, you know, well, you can just find another job. And 
I think that, 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 that this story especially shows how hobbled women are at all manners. I mean, they're all, you know, we're all victims when put in that situation. Um, does anybody else have other things they want to throw out? One of the things that I was thinking about when I was reading through this story and uh, learning more about what Jill Messick's life has been like in the last 20 years or so, I, I was thinking about how we keep getting, we keep running into these stories of the lengths that some of these assistants and things would go to to get some of these women into Harvey's hotel room and to other places and how, I mean, we've, I think, rightfully criticized a lot of that work and a lot of, this is a woman who went and reported it and she told mm -hmm. people like, hey, this happened and she still gets thrown under the bus afterwards you know like oh you didn't do enough to defend me like okay first of all she tried she she actually did something about it she was not trying to make this a bad situation she wasn't trying to ignore it she tried to fix it and the fact that that rose clearly is just so in her own head and only cares about her situation and that's getting more and more obvious every week it seems like you know I just it, it it breaks my heart that Jill went through this. I don't I don't know mm -hmm. what the truth is of what really happened between Rose and Harvey. That's actually in this situation kind of not even the point. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I mean, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of lowly lowly level people, you know, assistants and and you know, receptionists. I mean, people that work in these these offices that are are put in a situation that is just as bad i think then you know it, it's up there because if you are a young woman who is working at one of these companies and you get put in a situation where it's your conscience versus how you're going to feed you know yourself and your family i mean that that puts you between just as much of a rock and a hard place so and she was brand new yeah. in this job. It was her very first client and she did the right thing. It seems like. Yeah. And you know, it's uh. yeah. Well, and it, it also shows just the levels that, um, and we've said this from episode one early from, you know, and we've seen this since the Weinstein stuff first coming out, the levels of protection that there are in that industry. And somebody can report it and somebody can do the right thing but then it's suddenly out of her hands yeah. and you've got layers of people who are protecting and you know standing in the way who knows what happened in that instance once she reported exactly it. yeah and, and you know yeah. she's a lowly lowly manager she's not going to be told what happened no so exactly it's just it's tragic all around so um it's it's endemic in that industry and we still they need to fix it they need to have wide scale fixes or nothing's going to change exactly um it's it's sad all around our thoughts are with her family so let's move on to uh something something more pleasant let's talk about more weird hollywood hookups um <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about people finally noticing the eartha kit threesome with uh james dean and paul newman and now there was an interview with quincy jones that is hilarious. You should read the whole interview. <laughs> where he pretty much says flat out, Marlon Brando um, had sex with the likes of Marvin Gaye and Richard Pryor. 
And people were like, Richard Pryor, really? Um, and then Richard Pryor's widow came out and said, oh yeah, they totally had sex. <laughs> and so I just had to throw that out there because I was sitting there thinking the other night, like, that is the most bizarre relationship ever. <laughs> I don't know who that sounds weirder to imagine. Richard Pryor doing it or Marlon Brando doing it. Now, if y'all have seen Marlon Brando when he was young, like, dude, who wouldn't, regardless of gender, have, <laughs> oh, have yeah. banged him? Because he, he was fine as fuck. But Richard Pryor! You know what? I love that these weird-ass Hollywood stories from the golden era are coming out. I just, I love it. I just had to throw that out. The 60s, the 60s and 70s were a time, man. It just sounds like, because Richard Pryor's widow was even like, oh yeah, we were all on cocaine, you know, you do that, you fuck a radiator. It's just like, what is happening? Oh my what God. is happening? And can I get some of this? This is amazing. I would, like, sounds like so much Wow. Fun. I would die for a TCM Classic Film Festival panel where it's just people from the 60s and 70s just like, oh yeah. We totally were doing blow, and we were it, crazy orgies. I would just, I would listen to that. I would be in, like, in love with that. We have come a long way from just, like, suspecting, oh, why did Cary Grant and Randolph Scott live together for, like, five years in a house that they owned? Uh, and we've just moved into, like, full-on, you know, yeah, everybody was doing cocaine, and Marlon Brando was there, and he was just fucking everything. I am, I am for this. I am for this. <laughs> See, my my favorite Marlon Brando relationship of undeterminate nature is still him and Wally Cox. I've never heard that one. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, that one is. I mean, it's they were friends at least, but it's they're, they're little Wally Cox. I just find so adorable, and the thought of him and Marlon Brando, it's palling around. It's like, oh, you guys. Someone awesome. should watch the um, Elaine Stritch segment of her one woman show where she talks about going out on a date with Marlon Brando as like a nineteen year old nun, uh, and how it was the worst date ever. <laughs> um, because Marlon Brando is not a man who is like into romance or chivalry or niceties or any of that. It, it makes you wonder how Rita Moreno put up with his shit for so long. So yeah, there's there's that. Um, so let's move let's move right along into some other classic Hollywood news. Natalie Wood. We talked about last week that Robert Wagner was uh, considered a person of interest by the LAPD. Well, they felt the need to do a press conference on this after we recorded. Because Somebody everything always happens after we record. Exactly. Uh, where they essentially said that they had new evidence and new witnesses specifically that made them believe that Robert Wagner's story did not add up. But that the press conference was to entice new witnesses to come forward. So do you have new witnesses or don't you? Because it was a fair, I mean, Kim, you followed it a bit more closely than I did. It seems like it was a really confused, there was no reason for, for a conference at all. No, that, I was with your analysis of it. The, um, it really sounded like a backhanded way to try and get Robert Wagner yeah. to come out. It, it felt like a, a, it felt like to me a way to shame him publicly to either compel him to talk, because he hasn't talked to police since 2012 when they reopened the investigation, um, or to at least compel people in his circle to talk. Now, we don't know who these new witnesses are. As far as I know, there are only three, and they all talked originally. Um, so unless, again, you have somebody on Catalina Island, 
that that saw something or you can prove one of those three people's stories i don't know what new evidence but then they also wanted new witnesses so it seems like they have something but they don't have enough of something I, that's what I've, I've, that felt like they're trying, they're close. They're close at something, but they just don't quite have everything. Yeah, I mean. But I'd like to know what new, new witnesses they have who could speak intelligently to something they saw late at night in 1981. Right. I can barely speak to stuff that happened, you know, in the day last yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like they're hoping someone in Wagner's circle specifically, whether that's his wife, whether that's his children, I, I don't know, but it just seemed like they, could have maybe sent this out in a couple of tweets you didn't need to get like full court press for it um well but that's how they that's how they roll i know that's how they try to drive people out is make it a big spectacle i know i mean and what i would be interested because i didn't see the video of it but i know in the article coverage i was reading they were reciting some stories which it almost felt it felt like it was very meant to drive Wagner out because the article I was reading was pointing out holes in his story. Oh, there's always been holes in his story. Yeah. I mean, they're he they're getting a lot more blunt high. with of it now. There's holes in his story. Right, right. I find it very funny. I'm actually reading one of Robert Wagner's books right now and I took it out to uh, my mom's work and one of her coworkers picked it up and said murderer. <laughs> and I was like, "I I know, but can you can you just I I just need to finish it. I'm almost done with it." <laughs> and some uh, some last classic film news. This came out yesterday, and I just wanted to throw it out there. Uh, John Gavin died. If you don't know who that made me yeah. so I know. If sad. you don't know who John Gavin is, I love him. John Gavin always played the Hawkeye. He was the pretty pretty boy. Um, he was the Janet Lee's lover no in Psycho. He. he was also Lana Turner's boyfriend in the remake of Imitation of Life. So it was very sad. This one, this one also hurt me. Not in the same way as uh, Dorothy Malone dying, but this was sad. This week, John Maloney also. John Mahoney also died. That's right. I feel sorry, Mahoney. Yeah, I know. He's he's always. I know people love him from Frasier, where he was the dad, but he's always going to be the dad from Say Anything. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I love him. Yeah, the only movie where your dad can go to jail and you're kind of okay with it because you get John (laughs) Cusack at the end. (laughs) Priorities. Um. So let's move on. We're just cutting a swath through things here. You guys want to know who's directing a new Star Wars trilogy? Let me guess, let me guess. It must be an African-American woman, right? <gasps> ah, Kim, you're so funny. What, what, what would happen? I give that credit what to would, Karen. Oh, yeah, Karen. What would happen to all the white dudes that don't have a job, though? It would just, you know, they have programs for that. They have, they have families. They have families, Karen. Okay, they can't just not be out of work, Okay. Oh, of course. Support Amanda Peet. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was announced uh, the other day that uh, the Game of Thrones creators, um, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, were going to pilot a new Star Wars series. Now, this is not a Star Wars series associated with the series that we know that is going on right now. These are spinoffs, correct? And this is also not related to the trilogy that Ryan Johnson is going to be directing. Yeah, there will be now two separate. You might series. be confused on which white man is homing which one of these movies. It's, it's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, Cal. Well, but in it, this Kathleen. case, we have two, not just one. <laughs> Go, we're giving work to two mediocre white men. Great. Yeah. Well, all right. Game of Thrones is amazing, and I wouldn't necessarily I, say yeah. they're mediocre, but. 
I, there well, are so many other choices. Why well, know that? I, I am honestly celebrating the fact that this means that, that their Confederacy series that's, that they yeah. were supposed to be doing for HBO is yeah. all but dead in the water. That's exactly oh, what yeah. I was that's saying. That's the one say. silver lining in all this. It's just like, <laughs> they are probably not going to be doing this anymore, and thank Jesus, because it was a terrible fucking idea. Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. much like us trying to give Karen a challenge where she can't bring up a Tom Cruise movie, I feel like... Uh-huh. Kathleen Kennedy is feeling challenged to just only find white guys. She's going to be like, um, shit. Okay, this guy, Pete, he's the janitor. He can direct these movies. But Pete has no experience, Kathleen. Who the fuck cares? He's a white man, and it's going to work, okay? Give him $100 million. You can just fire him later. (laughs) My favorite tweet, well, my favorite tweet actually announcing this, or the day that this was announced, was something about, I can't wait to see who they replace Benioff and Weiss with after they get fired. Oh, exactly. Pete Pete the janitor. I do want to say, though, there is still a tiny tiny sliver of hope a little i i don't necessarily trust these two but they are not currently attached to direct any of the films they're writing mm-hmm. and producing them yeah. and they have worked with several several women directors on game of thrones that have popped up on lists of potential women that should direct a star wars movie so it's still entirely possible that they will bring in a woman to direct one of these? I'm not gonna assume that they will. I'm just trying to have a little bit of The ultimate question, though, will this finally be the Star Wars that has a rape scene? Because I'm just going off of their Game of Thrones work. <laughs> uh, did Bring- you, there was a tweet there was a tweet going around the day it was announced. Somebody goes, oh, the first page of the script has been leaked, and all it said was an in- interior brothel day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah this could be the first uh, Star yes. Wars. Rape incest in Star Wars. Hell, this could be the yeah. first Star Wars with some tits in it. I mean, other than the chick, uh, other than the animal that, um, that, that Mark Hamill milks in Last Jedi, obviously. Um, <laughs> oh, Kathleen, why? Why do this to me? Speaking of people that should not be in things that other people are making, Joaquin Phoenix might star as the Joker in Todd Phillips' standalone Joker movie. That's a sentence that I just said. <laughs> I nothing. Ab- I threw up in my exactly. mouth. Exactly. Nothing about this sounds like it should work in any way, shape, or form. Um, if in case you were, in case you were curious, um, I'm trying to get the story up so that people can okay so uh now is this is this separate to the standalone joker film that was being talked about with scorsese and dicaprio I, uh-huh. okay yeah this is, is this is different so so, the, so we know it we now have multiple standalone of joker course films we do because nothing says love <laughs> like a homicidal because white guy we need that. Uh, so this came out uh this is on variety uh he's in talks to play the joker in warner brothers and todd phillips untitled joker origin movie Suppose I don't want a fucking origin story about the Joker. Part of what makes him so awesome is the fact that we don't know why he's so crazy. So, Sorry. yeah. A- according feelings. to Todd... <laughs> I especially don't want one starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I don't know I don't know why this is a thing. Why is this happening? <laughs> it doesn't need to be a thing. And this is supposed to be in contrast to Jared Leto <laughs> playing the Joker in any Suicide Squad related stuff. Yeah. So... It's supposed to be some type of 80s set origin story and, quote, have more of the look of a gritty crime drama than a comic book movie. 
it looks like every other fucking movie that we've gotten from DC is what you're telling me, okay? Well, and so help me, if they give him some sad, weepy, you know, reason why he became the way he is, and it's because of some tragedy in his life, fuck that. I am so well, they'd, disinterested. They'd have to. I can see the studio notes in my head right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's it's... here's my problem. Okay, other than the fact that we gave Todd Phillips a fucking superhero movie, or a supervillain movie, whatever the fuck you want to call it, Joaquin Phoenix is one of those that has never really gone Hollywood. And he's kind of prided himself on that. And now he wants to play the Joker. And I've seen many a Joaquin Phoenix movie. You guys haven't seen 15, 16-year-old Kristen who had that Joaquin Phoenix, like, film binge. Okay, I went kind of nuts. Okay. I had a phase. Range (laughs) is limited. Okay. I mean, he's great in a lot of things, but he's also not great in other things. Um, And when you have titans of comic book... I mean, we gave... Heath Ledger and Oscar for playing the Joker. That's that's high. I mean, that's a high bar to cross, and nobody has touched it. Jack Nicholson's probably a close second. I mean, you have these huge acting, uh, you know, titans. I and I'm probably giving Heath Ledger way too much credit, but more hits than misses in in his career, and that's like getting the indiest of indie people. That's like getting. Actually, no. I was going to say that's like getting Mark Duplass to do it. And I'd be like, no, wait, that actually would be better. <laughs> it might be, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think that could be more interesting, actually. Okay. so uh, You know, uh, the line that keeps running through my head is just that line from The Dark Knight when Michael Caine says, some men just want to watch the world burn. It's like, exactly. We don't yep. kill this movie. Kill it now. Stop <laughs> The only this. thing that's going to burn is DC when this movie ends up crashing and burning because... They can't yeah. even make he's, a cogent film if you saw Suicide Squad. They couldn't even get a movie that had a plot. Exactly. Do you see they, they, they Wonder Woman? Well, okay. Yeah. One, once That's again, it, but they have once Wonder again, Woman. the woman's, the, the entire success of everything is on that woman's poor shoulders. <laughs> uh-huh. DC is just floundering around, it feels like, and they keep on trying, they keep on trying different things to see what sticks. And so far, the only one that has worked is Wonder Woman. Well, and, and yeah, and part of the problem is that they're not really trying different things. They're they're yeah. just trying a bunch of stuff, but they're well, not they're doing anything to try to make Wonder it Woman. different. Yeah, that's the only and one, that and was the that one, that one worked, worked. And they refused to follow that. Well, I don't know if it's that they refuse. It's just that I think the problem is they don't understand why Wonder Woman worked, and they're trying to grasp back onto that success without understanding why. Ain't it was that like a group mm-hmm. of? dude run studios to not understand why a woman directed film i you know to 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 put a joke out there about this that would be right in todd phillips's wheelhouse this is the filmic equivalent of like a teenage boy fumbling around with a girl trying to figure out where to put and stuff and like asking if that that works for her okay it's not it's not it's not gonna find it Just go away <sighs> <laughs> yep it's fucking read project a read a book exactly watch watch youtube okay um so moving on so some good stuff everybody who has seen black panther says even if it's got problems that they were so happy to see what did, and it's really great i saw black panther and i'm seriously really jealous of him because i have to wait till tuesday to go I'm see it. it on tuesday so well. yeah that yep same here i have 
I've been having, a, I might be having a Michael B. Jordan film fest just in anticipation of, like, dying, because I saw clips from it the other day, and I was like, Ryan Coogler knows me very well, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, but the, the more surprising reviews were for Annihilation, which I've been cautiously optimistic about since it was made. Um, but supposedly people that saw it said it was a mindfuck, and that it was awesome, and they couldn't get it out of their heads, and I'm sitting here thinking, see... Y'all were worried about Netflix putting it out, and now it might actually be good, and I don't get to see that till next week, so... <sighs> yeah, well, the thing about Annihilation, um, it's like, it makes me wonder how much have they changed, if anything, from that initial screening, because the stuff that I was hearing out of that, it's like, was it just a bad crowd that wasn't ready for that movie, or was it really not ready and they fixed it a little bit, and now it's like, hey... This movie's really got something. Yeah, the yeah, I, the press the screening that I had heard about it was an industry yeah. screening to get um, editing, like a, to get an editor um, or to get a post production. Oh, That's what it okay. Was. That's the one that I had heard about, but there were also public. I thought it was a sale for distribution. I thought that there probably were several. Um, so, and, and then I had also heard that there was actually a test screening for public. So. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, Alex Garland, I would love to know if they had pre-tested Ex Machina because, I mean, on the surface, I could see people not going for that movie that would at be all. That hard um, for some people. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm ready. I know it's a loose adaptation of the book, which you would need to be because the book is fucking weird. I'm still not very high on the fact that I think Oscar Isaac's going to have a central role and then he shouldn't. I'm sorry, this is the one time I'm going to say Oscar Isaac needs to have less screen time in a movie. Um, but... Yeah. But give it a chance. You don't oh, know. You, if you, you, if you know. think I'm not going to be happy with all of this at the end of the day, <laughs> I will be. Because at the end, it will still have my husband in it. So, whatever. So, the last bit of news is uh, that Doug Jones and Beanie Feldstein signed on for a TV series adaptation of uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Karen... I'm assuming based on the length, this was you, but so... I am so excited. Why don't oh you gosh, give us yes. uh, some background <laughs> and context, all of that? Okay. Well, um, have any of you guys watched I, What We Do in the Shadows? I, I know it. I, I, I haven't keep seen saying, it, but I know it. I, I know of it. Yeah, I know of it, but I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh, it's on it. Amazon Prime. Watch it. It's hilarious. I, I don't know how you felt about it, Lauren, but I love it. I think it's no, so I, funny. I, I love it. It's honestly one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It really is. So take away TT and Jermaine Clement. They wrote this movie and they've said it took them like seven years to write it. It's a fake documentary about, about uh, vampires living in New Zealand. And it's like kind of a real world style where it's like, this is just their normal lives. And they all, they, you know, there's four roommates that live together and they argue over things like whose turn it is to wash the dishes. Well, I did it last time. That was five years ago, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it's so funny. And it's like about their dating lives and stuff. Well, now FX announced last month that they're going to adapt it into a TV series. They, um, and I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. So Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement are coming back to produce the series. And um, Clement is supposed to write it and Waititi is going to direct. And um, Doug Jones, who we know and love from a lot of things, most recently The Shape of Water. He's also currently on um, Star Trek Discovery. And then Beanie Feldstein, who we adore from Lady Bird. Um, they just signed on to 
the cast. So we don't know what characters they're going to play. Um, nothing about the details of it have been revealed yet, but I think it's going to be so much fun. It's, yeah, it's going to be yeah. hilarious. I just know it. So bring it on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely into this. Uh, I, I have a feeling that Doug Jones is going to wind up being like a Nosferatu character because we cannot actually have Doug Jones yeah. as himself. <laughs> oh, never. Screen. Absolutely. He's going to have to be covered in prosthetics. I think he's going to I think he's going to end up being related to um, uh, what's the one character's name from the movie? Um, the Nosferatu? That's not his name, though, in the movie, is it? Yeah, no, no, but that's, that's but the yeah. type of vampire that yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, he'll be I think he'll be related to that guy. Um, yeah. yeah. It's good. Oh, it's See the so movie, great. guys. Yes. <laughs> Watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh-huh. I promise I will get to it soon. I, I was making Do mental it. notes for maybe tonight. <laughs> Do it. You will not regret it. It's so Dude. hilarious. And there there has been a discussion about uh, them doing a, a sequel to it, doing the uh, werewolf-focused yes. one. Um, yeah. And if you've seen in the original film, there the werewolves are the the conflict between the werewolves and the vampires does exist, but the werewolves are like the secondary group of people, uh-huh. uh, who are also very funny. So <laughs> I'm I'm looking I'm hoping that that gets off the ground also because I want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I just love it. I will watch anything that Takeo ITT is ever involved in for the rest of time. And this is your reminder um, that Thor Ragnarok comes out on yeah. Blu-ray soon. <laughs> hey, that's right, it does. Yep, there you go. Uh, so when Taika Waititi, yeah, decides that he should be on the Citizen Dame podcast, we will say that it was because of that that plug up right there. Uh, shameless plug. <laughs> so let's move on to some trailers. I don't know if you know, but um, a little thing called the Super Bowl happened. And there were a crap ton of trailers. And also some stuff that we missed. So let's knock out uh, the big trailer I think that came out. I think it came out after we recorded for Solo. Yeah, a day after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Everything that we listed here, Kristen, came out on the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's what I figured. That's what I figured. So um, Solo was kind of the big one, though. Um, This is the Star Wars story directed by that, our favorite white guy, Ginger, Ron Howard. I don't know if we're going to include Lord and Miller there. I don't know how the arbitration with the DGA is working, but uh-huh. yeah. So so this is a Solo, a Star Wars story. The origin story of Han Solo as played by Alden Ehrenreich. Um, and it's a trailer. I mean, it situates about what we'd expect. Uh, we get to see Donald Glover's Lando, which is the only reason I'm going to see this movie. Him and his fantastic coat. Actually, there's a lot of good coats in this trailer. Um, Amelia Clark plays the Star Wars requisite white brunette girl. Because, you know, you need all of those. They all just are starting to blend. I, the strange thing that a lot of people are bringing up is how little actual... Han Solo we get in this trailer um I don't think Alden Ehrenreich has more than a line and some people are saying that's deliberate so that people aren't gonna gripe on his performance in the trailer um what did we all think of the trailer well I just want to say I think that that's exactly what happened I think that they want to give people I, I think they want to make people decide how they feel about him as Han Solo in the context right. of the movie because He's yeah. got huge shoes to fill. Harrison Ford is amazing, and that's like the mo- one of the most iconic characters of the last forty years. And I mean, that's that's a tough challenge, and they have to let that stand on its own. So, the trailer overall, I'm 
the trailer overall, sure. I think, I mean, and I was watching it because I, I like all, I've seen Alden Ehrenreich be very solid and I've seen him be mediocre at best. It truly depends on, it seems like it truly depends on the material with him. Um, I know. I've liked him more than I've yeah, disliked him. Yeah, myself in, as in well. Everything. Yeah, I think um, he's likable enough. I know, I, mm-hmm. you know, ha- as someone who's been watching Star Wars since I was probably two, I... I caught myself being kind of a jerk in the trailer, you know, for his few lines going, well, I'm not getting a very Harrison Fordy vibe. He's got such, like, Karen, you're exactly right. He's got such huge shoes to fill. And you've got, this is one character where you've had one actor completely associated with this role for 40 plus years. You know, it's, I'd be scared as hell if I were an actor because, you know, people who, and Star Wars fanboys can be some of the most vicious fanboys out there. You, you know, people are going to be coming in going, well, that's not how, you know, Harrison Ford did it. You don't look like, you don't sound like him. You're not delivering that line like him. So it'd be pure, it would be completely in there. You know, I would probably keep his performance out of there too. Uh, getting back to the trailer, Lando was probably my favorite part. Um, I thought it was okay. I was it was the trailer was better than I was expecting it, but I'm still worried about this movie. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very I I will say as someone who is very underwhelmed by every single Star Wars trailer, even though I have wound up liking each of the films, I have some optimism on this one just because I watching it, I was like, okay, I really don't care. But then I was like, well, I really didn't care about The Force Awakens, and I really didn't care about Rogue One, and I really, but I liked all of them. So I, I'm on for. But I'm gonna be really nasty. He's way too short. She <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. is so short, and I mean, and part of that is because hey, it's not just that Harrison Ford is tall. Harrison Ford is really tall. And and I'm just watching this, I'm like, but you're definitely not Han Solo because you're like three feet shorter than Han Solo <laughs> is. You've got to be. You're like minuscule compared to him. Some and, people sprout later in life. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh man, you had a real growth spurt in your like late thirties. Some way, the other person on the short list it, it was, was little Taron Egerton from Kingsman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that that did not happen actually. But um, totally. Yeah, I w- I'm underwhelmed by this, and I think that a lot of people are nervous because of the, all of the problems that this film has gone through uh, to begin with. So, I, you know, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. If it sucks, I don't care that much, but it would be nice if it didn't. Yeah, my thing is, like, I mean, I am a huge Star Wars fan. I think I've established that. <laughs> but um, I've never been optimistic about this film. I am always a little bit, like... Why do we need backstories on some of these characters? And that's how I felt about this one. I've never been like, oh, yay, I can't wait to see, you know, not Han Solo as a kid. <laughs> but, because um, he is not my Han Solo. But, um, eh, whatever. It's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I'm still going to watch it probably more than once. And I'm still going to probably find things to like about it. So well, we fine. can all uh, see it when it comes out. It's expected for a May 25th release. I don't know if that's going to happen. They're late, uh, I'm but pretty it sure it will. They wouldn't have dropped the Super Okay. They wouldn't have dropped the Super Bowl trailer if it wasn't going to happen. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, May 25th, we can all see see that. Um, next is there was another Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom trailer. Yawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, who cares? yeah. Uh, that comes out June twenty second. In case you care, I, 
I don't need that much Chris Pratt Chris in my Pratt life. Being Chris I really Pratt. don't. You know, the thing about... No one does. Well, <laughs> the thing about this trilogy, or this group of movies, I don't know if it's... I hope it's just a trilogy, but it's like every every Jurassic movie that has come out, even if the movie itself ended up not being good, the trailers just made me so excited I couldn't wait, including the last one, Jurassic World. And I and I ended up not liking that movie at all, but I loved the trailer. I was so down for it. And this one, it's like, I could not be less interested. And every trailer just bores me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not excited for this one. I was so mad after no. the last film that I think that has really scarred it for yeah. me. Um, if the last film hadn't have been the last film, I maybe could have been more excited. But I had such vicious nerd yeah. rage after that last one that I'm dreading this one. Yeah. So, other trailers that came out for things that I'm kind of dreading. Um, Skyscraper. Oh my gosh. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm gonna be the one person who's so excited about this. Okay, go for Lauren, it. Tell us the plot of this movie. Yes, Wait, tell us no, about no, no, this no, no, trailer. No, no, no. I have no it's idea what the Dwayne plot Johnson is. movie. Plots do not matter. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I don't. I don't know what the plot is. I really have no. I think that like he's a father and he's like a war vet who lost his leg, and then he's doing security for this like massive building that massive is somewhere. I don't know where it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a skyscraper, and and terrorists take over the building because that his family also lives in. Um, so it's like Die Hard, but in a really tall building. It seems like Die Hard uh, meets Towering Inferno. Yeah, that's exactly what I what it was was to me. Is that yeah, it's Die Hard meets Towering Inferno, directed by the guy who did San Andreas. I was about to say with a little San Andreas thrown in, right? <laughs> this this is gonna be the best. Like I can't. I'm so excited. Considering I just watched <laughs> fucking Geostorm last night, and spoiler alert, there's not enough Geostorm in that fucking two hour movie. I can't. I can't. I, I. I just. I didn't like San Andreas, and I'm all for these high concept like actioners, but they always end up disappointing me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just expecting too much. I don't know. I think. I, I think that this is one of those that you have to go in being like, this is going to be stupid. Um, and it's going to be very sort of straightforward, you know, we've got Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, being a good father and protecting everybody and beating the crap out of a bunch of terrorists. And that's what it's going to be about. So, and, and making impossible jumps off of things. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be ridiculous, but actually watching the trailer, I was like, I'm totally there. I'm I'm so for this Hopefully movie. this will be your new surrealist masterpiece. I was just going to say the same thing. Yes! <laughs> no, I am unironically there for this movie. You don't even understand. Like, I am just like, no, this is great. I actually loved San Andreas because it was so incredibly stupid yet fun at the same time. <laughs> and... I, I yeah, I'm down for it. I'm down for it. <laughs> well, that comes out July 13th. So, yay. Let's get out a couple of television trailers um cuz there were some interesting ones. So, we got the first glimpse of season 2 of Westworld, the HBO series. Um I am excited. I love Westworld, the the television show. I should probably show. finally watch season 1. <gasps> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's so good. It's all about, I mean, the nudity is a little problematic considering it's predominantly women but tandy newton is a boss well hey i watch game of thrones that's true i mean (laughs) but tandy newton is a boss tessa thompson like i would 
I would sell my soul to Satan for her. Um, <laughs> Evan Rachel Wood's really good. I mean, everybody's great. I mean, it's just, it's so good. And it doesn't, I thought it was going to be a little, like, lost in terms of, like, it doesn't know how to end the climax at all. But it's really good. You should watch it. So, season two trailer didn't give us a whole lot, but I'm in. I mean, I'm in. It, I, you don't have to sell me on this. I'm going to watch it. I don't watch TV at all, mostly, but I will watch this. I don't know if, it, if I'm the only yeah. one who watches Westworld. No, I, I, it's one of those, it's like, I've, I was planning on watching it, and then when I found out season two wasn't coming until, like, two years later, I was like, oh, well, I'll watch season one right before I, season I two I started the first yeah. season, but then something with life happened, I can't even remember what, and we fell oh, off. Catch, and it's been one of those that I just need to get back on. You have until April, so... Yeah, so I was, I'm, I'm excited. Um, one thing I'm not excited for, why are we still trying to make Jack Ryan a thing? That's what I was wondering. Because Harrison Ford. Because he's, okay, he's, but we don't have he's John Harrison Krasinski Ford now, right? No, I know, but they're trying yeah, to, like, Yeah, he's John yeah. Krasinski now. But they're trying to make all of Harrison Ford's old characters awesome again, because they don't realize that it's only awesome because of Harrison Ford. So, yeah, Hulu is doing this Jack Ryan series, I keep wanting to call him Jack Reacher, and I'm like, that's not it. Um, thanks, Karen. Don't confuse my boyfriend. <laughs> um, so John Krasinski plays Jack Ryan. Uh, you might remember the character from stuff like Clear and Present Danger. That's the only Jack Ryan movie I've seen. I don't know. Patriot if Games Patriot is Patriot awesome. Games. There's okay. So Patriot Games is the one with Sean Bean, right? Yes. Okay, that's what I've seen. Ah, uh, yeah. So I was like, Sean one, Bean's right? in it. Just Hunt for Red October. Played by Alec Baldwin. That's Alec Baldwin. And then they did one with Ben Affleck that I saw. Oh, that's right. Too. The one with Ben Affleck. Some of all fears. There you go. Um, that movie was garbage. Uh, so yeah, they're they're trying it again with John Krasinski um, because he thinks that making thirteen hours means he's an action star now. Um, I watched the trailer for this and I was just like grossly horrified. Um, first off, you do not take Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower and do a really shitty cover of it. You just, you don't do that. Um, and then they use, like, clips from all these different presidents to, like, I guess give us the belief that Jack Ryan is important. But the predominant presidents they use are, like, Reagan and Bush. And there's, like, one little Obama clip. So I'm like, oh, okay. You're going for that yeah. demographic. Nope, I'm good. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's a white guy kicking ass against, like, terrorism. I've seen that for, like, the last ten years. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um... One other preview for a TV series, uh, Castle Rock. I'm glad somebody told me to watch this trailer because I was like, what the hell am I watching? Um, Castle Rock is also uh, the new a new Hulu series, quote, from the mind of Stephen King. That can be a good thing or a really terrible thing. So supposedly, quote, based on the stories of Stephen King, it will intertwine characters and themes from the fictional town of Castle Rock. Based on the trailer, we know that Andre Holland is here in some form. Sissy Spacek, Bill Skarsgård, uh, Melanie Linsky, Melanie Linsky, Scott Glenn. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's essentially okay. My theory when I was watching this trailer was it's all of Stephen King's characters, and somehow they just are like gonna no. meet up. No, no. Okay. It is several people who have appeared in other projects that were based on Stephen King's works. Okay. These are all brand new characters. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then my version sounded funner. Um, 
<laughs> I know. I was trying to imagine um, Pennywise and Carrie interacting, but yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. That's, that would be so much that's fun. What I was thinking of, I was like, okay, so wait, because like we see a like glimpse of like Shawshank, like on the the car. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, so yeah, is this like characters from that? Like, and they're gonna Bill interact. Skarsgård is in is an inmate at Shawshank. Okay. Andre Holland, essentially, like, I'm not sure who he is supposed to be, but he gets a call from someone somewhere in Shawshank, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. And that's what brings him back to Castle Rock. Castle Rock is near Shawshank in the world of yeah. Stephen King. It's just a shared so, universe. I mean, again, this is, this yeah. could be really fun, or if you've read any Stephen King books, it could go off the rails really fucking quick. But he's not yeah. writing it. It's basically just, like, ideas that he has introduced and things like that. So I am really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot I'm, of fun. I'm tenuously interested. Karen, you already predicted it, but you get the next 30 seconds to talk about Mission Impossible Fallout's trailer. All I have to say is that my reaction last week preemptively was completely accurate. <laughs> I, as soon as the trailer started, like, because we were watching the game, you know, and so as soon as the trailer started, I was like, oh, oh, here it is, here it is. And I was just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, this looks so good. I'm so excited. So, yes, I'm down. I'm, I'm I there. I was waiting for the I, mustache. I wish. <sighs> Yeah, I was there for the Cavill. I was like, damn. Cavill's face does not look weird in this <laughs> yay. movie. <so> yay. <laughs> yeah, how dare you make his face look terrible? Because that is, Justice oh, League ruins Cavill everything. Is, we just. Justice League does ruin everything. Exactly. So, but anyway, yeah, no, I'm really excited for Mission Impossible Fallout. And I think it looks awesome. It, it looks like as much fun as every other Mission Impossible movie. I'm really excited to see elements of past films come back into this one and actually have consequences and matter. And I think that's really cool. And um, I really need to find a way to get myself into that premiere. <laughs> yes. Cause I, I would just, I would love to be your plus one. Cause I, I have no illusions about Tom Cruise. So I'd be like, look, I can ask you serious questions or this one can just drool on you. You, your pick entirely. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, if, if I get to meet him, I'm confident that I will lose all ability to speak. <laughs> Yeah, and she's definitely going to be buying, like, Scientology courses after that. I know it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think like... they'd be asked you to, you would. <laughs> tell me nope, about it, Tom. Nope, nope. Tell me, tell me. I'd be like, here, I have a book I'd like you to read. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, one, uh, one more comic book-esque theme trailer came out for Venom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, or... Is, I, I I'm not really um I'm I'm not big on comic book movies in general. I am even less interested in Spider Man. Well, this one doesn't even have Spider Man. <laughs> this is Spider Man yeah, without. No, this this is, is a Spider Man character not in the Spider Man universe. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Tom Hardy's probably gonna do a funky voice. Michelle Williams is there. She was nice to see. Although I I don't I want to snatch <laughs> that wig off her head because. I mean, it's a wig, right? It looks fake. Um, it does. Riz side Ahmed note, is just there. Because I, side note, just because I thought of this and it just made me laugh. <laughs> Did you guys see the video that Tom Hardy posted? I think it was on Instagram. 
of him with like a cup over his face and he's talking to his dog in Bane's voice. No, it's so I need funny. to see oh this gosh. now. I watched it like five times in a row. It's so funny. Tom Hardy is such a treasure. Okay, I, he really exactly. Is. I adore him and I will watch this movie even that if is, it's not That's good. the only yeah, reason I will be there. Exactly. I, one, of my, one of my good friends is a Tom Hardy nut. So she has already told me that, quote, as soon as I get a fucking pass, I need to invite her. Um, so I told her, I'm like, you know it's not coming out till like, October, right? So I'm probably going to have some time in between. Will, yeah, so that comes some out. Some people are worth it waiting It will fly. For. I said that last year about uh, Murder on the Orient Express. It's like, oh, that's not until October, November, and it's here already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting till September 21st when I get two Oscar Isaac movies in a day and then I can die afterwards. So, yeah, um, I know all about waiting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Venom comes out October 5th. We really have nothing to say about it. Venom trailer um, with the no Venom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So, there you go. Um, the last trailer that I threw out here because I saw it and I was very concerned about it, Amy Schumer. I like Amy Schumer. I, I did like Amy Schumer. Um, and she's slowly, I think, becoming that ubiquitous figure that I'm starting to just dislike because she's trying to be Hollywood. I don't know. She has a movie coming out called I Feel Pretty. It comes out at the end of <gasps> Oh June. my gosh, you guys. What? Sorry, breaking news. This just came up. Johan Johansson, composer, died. Oh, how does it say? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Oh my god! Holy gosh. shit! Holy shit! Sorry. I, oh my gosh. Um. Uh, he died yesterday in Berlin. He was 48. Cause of death is not immediately known. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is that is insane. That, I'm like I'm speechless right now. This is from Deadline. Um, Johansson's death was confirmed by his manager, Tim Hussam, known for his compositions that often blended electronics with classical orchestrations. Johansson was considered to be one of the most in-demand film composers of his generation. Credits include Theory of Everything, Sicario, Arrival, um, Mother. Uh, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, that, like, literally just popped up right now. Oh, yeah, no, no problem. That's... That's why we record. <laughs> wow, what a sad loss. We will oh we gosh. will definitely be keeping people updated on that. Um, mm-hmm. Now I feel bad going back to Amy Schumer, really but poor okay. Back to Amy Schumer. <laughs> yeah, I know, sorry. I, it, no, it's, like, it's it fine. Just... It's fine. Um, so yeah, there's no real segue. I'm just gonna go back to it. So Amy Schumer has a movie coming out called I Feel Pretty. It's a movie where Amy Schumer plays Amy Schumer, but. She's supposedly unattractive, um, and she gets a head injury and wakes up feeling that she is the most, believing that she is the most beautiful and capable woman on the planet. Okay, so let's look at that. I watched the trailer for this, and I thought, oh, it's just gender swap shallow how. Was I the only one that noticed that a little bit in the terms of, like, I honestly put that movie the pers- out of my mind um, after I saw it. Yeah. Shallow How, I mean, Shallow How, keep in mind, is very different because it's about a man who is not attractive, but he feels that he's a ladies' man 
and is the movie. No, no, it's about him seeing one particular woman yes, or yes. everybody. But he, he believes, everybody else but he in a believes that he's owed a hot girl until he gets this this magical spell placed on him where he yeah. sees the inner beauty of all of all women. Yeah. Um all people. It, yeah, it doesn't really work, but whatever. Um so in here though, Amy Schumer I always feel like Amy Schumer perpetuates this idea that she's more unattractive than she really is. And I'm all for a movie where it's about confidence and and wanting to feel that you are awesome. But it comes in contrast to, like, she's working with the likes of Naomi Campbell. And we're supposed... There's this just this weird emphasis on looks that I'm not really appreciating, especially if you're a woman of color or you're disabled, like, you watch this trailer, at least for me, and I was just like, bitch, really? Like, <laughs> oh my god, you think you're so un- grossly unattractive, and then you get this bump on your head, and you have this newfound confidence that can only come from a head injury. Like, I, I don't know, it's just a trailer, maybe there will be more in-depth discussion in the ser- this movie that won't feel like it's just jokes about, oh, she's throwing water on herself, look at her gut, you know? It's just, it's unattractive, but she thinks she's hot, so it's okay. I don't know. Um, I don't know if anybody else watched the trailer, if it was just me. I, uh... I watched the trailer. Yeah, I watched the trailer. It, it was one of those that, watching it, I was like, you know, there are interesting things about this idea, in that, you know, the the perception of what is attractive and the way that people actually behave when they're attractive uh, or, or think that they are attractive regardless and and about female self-confidence and stuff like that but yeah when you when you look at I mean Amy Schumer someone was mentioning this on on Twitter also Amy Schumer is like she looks normal to me like yes. I look at her and I go like okay mm-hmm. you look like you know three quarters of the people that I I talk to on a regular basis so in that sense she's just like she's not you know she isn't Michelle Williams etc she's not the hot Hollywood actress but this whole this whole thing of like her being in the real world and being like oh I'm so ugly I'm so fat and I'm just like well I'm offended yeah Uh, I mean I'm about the same size as Amy Schumer and I'm like I don't what I I mean yeah probably in Hollywood but I'm not in Hollywood (laughs) right Um, yeah this is this is the directorial debut feature length directorial debut of Abby Cohn um, who you might remember, she wrote uh, the scripts for Never Been Kissed, uh, He's Just Not That Into You, The Vow, and How to Be Single. All of movies that I had issues with. Um, so, except for Never Been Kissed, because that movie is perfect. Um, we also have, so yeah. I mean, it brings up, it, for me, it brings up interesting discussions about female comedians. And especially, I mean, that discussion back when Melissa McCarthy started losing all that weight to kind of go Hollywood and people not necessarily thinking she was as funny when she was skinny and Rebel Wilson. And there's there's really interesting discussions to be had in terms of what female comedians have to go through. Well, and I also wondered, what if you had Rebel Wilson as this lead? What if you had Melissa McCarthy as the lead? I think that things would be very mm-hmm. different because Amy Schumer is, you know, her people mostly make fun of the fact that her face is not pretty, but she's not like her comedy. aesthetically. <laughs> yeah, she's just she's not aesthetically unpleasing in the way that the the horrible comments that are made about McCarthy or Rebel Wilson are. So 
I don't know. I just feel like this is pandering to a very specific. It's like listening to Megan Trainers all about that bass and like being like, oh, it's an anthem for a very specific type of woman. <laughs> um, and if you don't fit into that, you're excluded. Um, so that comes out at the end of June. I hope it's okay. Um, so yeah, let's get into some reviews. Um, we saw some movies this week. Kim and I went and saw Fifty Shades Freed. We'll get that out of the way before we talk about our main movie that we all watched. Um, uh, Kim and I approached this from very different areas. I have seen all three of these movies. Kim has only seen this one. And the first, I saw the first one uh, and this one. Okay, so you skipped the really yeah, shitty I skipped one. Two. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you don't need to see two. It's horrid. Um, I, I ranked these as three, one, two. When I uh, three, one. Losing a limb and then two. Um, two is awful. Um, so Fifty Shades Freed is the concluding chapter of the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise involving BDSM and a guy who stalks you and it's considered caring. So in this movie they get married, um, there's kidnapping and all sorts of shenanigans that take place. I've seen all three of these. I feel like I've lived a hundred years. I I don't like these movies at all. I will say that three, I think, is the best, best being relative of the franchise, mostly because everybody knows it's the end. Dakota Johnson's fantastic. She is way too good for these movies. I hope she has uh, a resurgence, uh, not unlike Kristen Stewart after she left Twilight, because Dakota Johnson gets some really good moments to act in these movies. You can just see E.L. James's yoke, just kind of like, every time this character gets a little forward-thinking and progressive, you can just see where E.L. James like, no nope, on the script. Um, exactly. So there's, like, a really great scene where she tells Christian Grey, like, you're a fucking dick, I hate you, we're gonna have this baby, and you're an asshole about it. Like, it's, like, a, a, literally, I was sitting there, like, nodding my head, like, yes, girl, you tell him, okay? Mind you, she's topless in the scene. Why? I don't know, there's actually a really disproportionate overabundance of nudity in this movie where it's just her naked all the time, and he, him you get, like, delicate man pubes. That's about the extent of his nudity. Um, but you see moments where she's actually allowed to do really good work, and I was really happy to see. Jamie Dornan is Jamie Dornan. He does nothing for me. They're the two most boring people in Hollywood. And, and again, this movie spends an inordinate amount of time of them dis disliking each other. So I, I'm wondering if that was intentional. Um, and really, the BDSM is just unnecessary in this movie. It's all vanilla sex. I love that the advertising is saying, like, the climax is coming. And there's actually no sex scenes where you see orgasm. You see, Maybe one is maybe alluded to. She, honestly, She looks she mildly it. relieved after <laughs> I believe in the car when she's yeah. riding him in the yeah, car. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, that's the one time where it's like, okay, well, maybe she, there's a there's an she orgasm could have in there. The up. rest of it, yeah, the rest <laughs> of them they cut or it just like ends. And you're like, what? That's not how sex works. Um, and and there's actually a sex scene where um, and it's in the book, and I knew it, it was coming where um he uses which I guess in BDSM it's a thing like orgasm denial. Yeah. Um, where you essentially build it up and then you stop. And he uses it as a form of, of revenge for her daring to go out with her friend to a bar. And I was watching it and it's filmed like a rape scene, yep. really. Um, and I was like, 
yes, you get into the discussion about how he does this and it's horrible. And she has a brief moment where she's like, that was fucked up. You shouldn't do that again. And then again, you it's almost like E.L. James walks through and she's like, nope. And then they just have to be, <laughs> they have to go back. And this movie, I mean, it's so boring. I can't make fun of it, but it's not good enough to say it's good. Kim, did you have anything you wanted to add? Well, a, a couple of things. I mean, going back to what I found, what bothered me is that, because I think of the sex scenes, there were maybe three that were in the playroom and, you know, kind of ventured into that poorly crafted BDSM territory. And in two of them, essentially, it's phrased as punishment. And it's not like, oh, punish, you know, not, you know, sex for mutual pleasure. It's him getting back at her for something. Because I found, I mean, at someone who hasn't read the books, I was not ready for the that the scene you just referenced, and I found that really, I I was bothered by that a bit. And then you see the playroom again right after. I think they're in the plane, and she rolls her eyes, and it's it's like oh, and it's it's I took it as you know punishment for rolling her eyes. I'm going okay, so we're we're doing this, guys. We have plenty of these vanilla sex scenes, and then the two times you go into the playroom, it's for sex scenes like this, which was like that I found and problematic and troubling to say the least. And then the nudity, I noticed, I was noticing about midway through for a film that is supposedly Anastasia's story and coming from Anastasia's perspective. My God, that camera was, you know, male gaze, you know, hitting you in the face with male gaze. She's parading around, you know, topless, naked, nude the entire time. And you get, you know, you've got, ling you know, the camera's gazing, the camera's lingering. And there was maybe one scene where, I think it was in the shower, where you kind of look at him. And not re he's basically gets undressed for sex, and that's it. It's you know set up in there for the storyline that's it the camera's not you know it's purely male gaze well and and you know because we at my screening at least there we had an actual wedding party that showed up that had a 50 uh -huh. shades themed wedding just like wait what how does that work at, at all um so and i think the guy behind us was saying like that was the first time he'd fallen asleep in a movie with a naked woman in it and i was like <laughs> wow um the big issue i had too is that you know we've we know that these movies have always been about perpetuating this idea that that his control of her is good and that it comes from this place of caring i was more interested in the fact that this chick goes to the bank to pull out five mil in cash she comes in with like a huge louis vuitton bag she's like i need five mil now and inst instead of calling like the bank which because the bank should not have five mil on hand or like the federal government because i think anything over 10 grand they have to call the the feds to to let them know that you're taking a lot of money out they call her husband and i was like but, wait uh, what comes in it it sounds really weird, but that didn't surprise me, honestly. The new wife shows up with a big duffel bag, you know. <laughs> I was just like... It always cracks me up that people think a lot of money like that can fit yeah. into a duffel yeah. bag. Oh, she, no, no, this isn't even a duffel bag. This is like a nice, big, like, leather, like, uh, probably like a Gucci bag. It's like, he, it, oh my gosh. Oh, well, then yeah, of course Yeah, I was it. just like, oh my god, really? And the fact that she puts that bag on the ground at the end, I was like, no, that bag's at least, you know, $700. You aren't putting that on the 
dirty curb. Okay, no, that's not happening. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's it is what it is. You either I, like I this mean, franchise or you hate it. I found myself getting into it a bit in places. I mean, but my screening was also more of less a wedding party, and it was more of like a bachelorette party theme. Uh, okay. So there there was some hooting. There was you know there was applause. So I mean, it was a fun environment, and I even said in my review, you know, it's having the right expectations in the right setting it could be a fun movie to watch and it's the last one and it's got all the laughable moments people could very well enjoy it (laughs) i had the most silent (laughs) screening like none of us care mind you there was only maybe about 10 of us in the screening um and i think i was the only press i was the only moron that drew that short straw so yeah, it's out. Uh, but the movie I was, all... I was sitting next to our conservative talk radio guy who was laughing hysterically the entire time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the movie, of course, that we're all talking about this week that we all saw was The Cloverfield Paradox. Which, speaking of trailers that dropped during the yes, Super Bowl. Yes, the trailer came out during the Super Bowl, and then a couple hours later it was on Netflix. It said, coming very soon to Netflix, and very soon turned out to be in three yes, hours. Yes, this was a... Uh, this is the, the continuation of the Cloverfield uh, series. Uh, this is a standalone film. Is it a sequel? Is it a prequel? We don't know. It just is in the same universe um, as the Cloverfield movies. But it takes place sometime in the future, we're assuming, where the the universe is running out, or the Earth is running out of energy, um, and they need to get more. So this team uh, on... on uh, a ship hold on i'm trying to pull up the thing because it's been a while since i've watched it <laughs> like six days <laughs> yeah six days well i watched like 12 Long movies in between days. them um <laughs> so a bunch of scientists are trying to solve it with uh some type of what is it a particle accelerator yeah yeah and end up realizing that the earth has disappeared and that they are in a different uh universe of some kind it's what they call the cloverfield different paradox dimension. different dimension I, you know, this movie's been getting a lot of bad press, and we're gonna spoil it, so if you don't want to know spoilers about Cloverfield, probably just cut to the end. This movie's getting a lot of shit, and I don't know if it's because it went to Netflix, and the intent, the belief was that it was awful, or what. I had a lot of fun with this movie. Same. I thought it was great. I liked it. I, I mean, it's not as, as good as 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I still think is the best of these series. But I really enjoyed it. I love the Twilight Zone-esque feel of these films. Um, two and uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane and this. Not so much Cloverfield, the first one. Um, but I, I like that it's... Uh, and if you've watched Twilight Zone, there are episodes where about this whole going to a different dimension that have happened. And they, they're really interesting. So right away when the Earth disappears, you're like, oh, okay, well, either the Earth is gone or they're gone. And... You know, you get this really good back and forth between um, Gugu Mbatha-Raw's husband, who is on Earth, and then what's going on up in the ship. Um, Is it cheesy? Yeah. Does it take plots that have been done in other sci-fi movies? Yes. But at the same time, I'm still entertained by all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Alright, I'll I'll snap this one up. Yeah, I liked it. I I said on on Twitter, um, I don't know why people are being so hard on it, given that I've seen much worse films that have had wide releases in the theaters and have done very well at the box office. It's it's perfectly entertaining. It's a good, it's a great cast. 
I mean, I don't know if this film would have would have been probably definitely would have been worse if uh, if they'd had just a very general cast of unknowns or, or actors that weren't as good. There was some weird things that went on that I really enjoyed the whole subplot with Chris O'Dowd's arm. Yes. That was so <laughs> yeah. funny. I was just like, this is this is funny and it's weird and it's kind of That's my fucking it's, arm. Yeah, it's just like, what are you talking about, arm? Like all of that stuff was just very it was a funny extra extra thing. So it didn't go because the the plot itself is very serious, it was nice to have that. Uh, it wasn't like a deathly definitely serious in the way that alien is um yeah it's very referential it definitely takes you know where it's 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 a genre film and it takes stuff from other films many of which have probably done their specific elements better but it puts them together in a different way and as as sort of predictable as i found it i also found it immensely enjoyable it's definitely as good as the first cloverfield film uh, so I, I'm not certain. I think that we're all kind of spoiled by Ten Cloverfield Lane, and that that we want it. We're we kind of we have this imagination that this is a great franchise, and it's not. It's a very weird franchise. You've got the first film, which is just basically a not terribly well put together monster movie. You've got Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is much more about um, just much more psychological thriller. And, and then you have this, which is like their, their version of the Alien franchise. So it's all kind of, it's very weird, or, or like you're saying, a Twilight Zone episode. It's very weird, but it's loads of fun. And I, it was a perfectly diverting thing to sit down and watch on like, you know, I think I watched it on like a Monday night. It was great. I had a good time. Can and I, I'll jump in as I have not seen, I actually, I, I might have seen parts. I have yet to see the second one and I have maybe seen bits and pieces of the first one. So jumping into this one, I don't have the other, I don't have much more than my knowledge of the other two as kind of a frame of reference. Um, and I had kind of the word of mouth in my head when I was sitting down to watch it. So, and I've heard some very good and I've heard some very bad and it was nowhere near, you know, and nowhere near the horrible that I was expecting. I've seen some truly terrible, you know, sci-fi you know, sci films. Someone I saw on Twitter was comparing it to like a sci-fi original movie. And no, not at all. Um, I'm a sucker for Chris O'Dowd and I'm a sucker for Daniel Bruhl. So that alone, you know, was gave me completely enough to get through the movie and completely enjoy it. Um, I, I'm having a hard time because I just watched it yesterday in terms of digesting it. I mean, it was completely fine. It was completely good. I don't quite know how I feel about it yet, but it's nowhere. I mean, it was, it looked, I thought it looked very well. I thought the, where I really stopped was like, oh, that's original was a particular, the character's death scene where the room's filled with water and you see the door get sucked out. I'm like, ooh, I've never seen that in a sci-fi film. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't even, wasn't even sitting there going, I've seen other films do stuff like this better. It felt to me very original, very unique with a solid cast. And I'm going to need to watch it again in terms of with, and after I've seen the other films to kind of get more of a scale of the universe, because I, what could be styming me is not having that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the cast is just, I mean, the cast Stellar alone cast. is fantastic. I mean, yeah, you get David Oyelowo as the captain, uh, Guggenmabatha Ra, Elizabeth Debicki. 
um, Daniel Bruhl, uh, Zhang Ziyi, I mean, you had Chris O'Dowd, I, everybody's great. Um, really, though, it's it's all about Gugum Abathurah, and she does great work. I, I have such a girl crush on her. Um, mm. I love the, the weird little political discourse between um, Daniel Bruhl uh, and the the guy who's um, the the Russian the Russian, the Russian uh, astronaut and the whole concept of like the Germans are doing this and then you start to think that you get this weird like little World War Two parallel that that plays out um, or mm-hmm. Cold War that I thought was really intriguing. Um, I like the world building. Kate Erbland wrote an article that. I'm not saying it's the same as mine. I'm just thinking it's it's similar to when I wrote for Award Circuit back in the day when Gravity came out, um, which was that, you know, oh, sci-fi movies with women leads are only contextualized through motherhood. And yes, Guguma Bathara's character, Axe, um, is the broken woman who goes up into space because her children have died. And so when she gets this opportunity to go to the different dimension, there's a possibility she could see them or at least save them. Um, even though there's no real question about, like, in this universe, that might never happen. Um, they might never die that the way that they died on this other Earth. I don't know. Um, regardless, I expect it at this point, so it didn't bother me. I don't know if it bothered anybody else. I thought about it, but it wasn't a hang-up. Mm. Yeah. I mean, at the end, it comes down to two women fighting, out, you know, for this, this, uh, for for reasons that make sense on both sides, which I like, like Elizabeth Debicki's yeah. whole argument makes sense. Google about the Raw's argument makes sense. Like either one of these women could win, and it would be completely acceptable, which I appreciated. Um, I think the only thing I I complain about these movies is is that they they it sucks that they happen to be in the Cloverfield universe because you always have to get that monster in there. So, you know, yeah. a lot of people, when they saw 10 Cloverfield Lane, said it was great up until the time that the aliens show up. Um, I was fine with the aliens showing up, but I can see the, the issues. I felt that way more in this, because the movie ends um, with the ship... That was dark. <laughs> yeah. The movie ends with the ship, um, the, the space station, they get back to Earth. Um, and the ship is destroyed, and they have to come home. So it's, it's Guma Batharan and Daniel Bruhl. Okay, so the ship breaks up. It's, it's Guguma Batharan and Daniel Bruhl. They're going back to Earth. They call Guguma Batharan's husband and say that, oh, you know, they're, they're coming back. And he, he says, you know, no, they're coming back to these things. Um, and, and the way that that scene is played out where he's screaming at them, tell them to not to come back. That was pure Twilight Zone. That was pure Twilight yeah. Zone. I right. love that. Um, and then it ends with them, like, getting gulped by the damn monster. Um, they could have almost left it without that last shot and been fine, really. I think, I think that, yeah, they didn't need that last shot. The only reason it felt included was because they needed the Cloverfield monster in there. Was I... With, I mean, with my it. minimal knowledge of it, I found the scenes, um, I drew, because I drew, and I don't know if this is right, but the scenes where, I'm spacing the actor's name, the husband's character, is, you know, wandering around and you kind of see the fire and you see the shadows, I drew parallels there to the first movie, and that was, to me, that was enough. Yeah, I, I, I liked it regardless, um. I doubt it'll be on my best of the year, um, but it's it's good. It's a 
you well, know, great way to to spend 30, 90 minutes. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. One thing I wanted to say is like, it's really funny because some of the criticisms I saw was this is bullshit sci-fi. Like this isn't even real sci-fi. And oh yeah, because Armageddon never, like, is yeah a physicist yeah, dream. It's, well, it's funny because I was talking to one of my tutors. I I run a tutoring center in a college, and I was talking to one of my tutors who does math and physics. And he didn't he didn't see the trailer for this movie. He didn't know it existed or anything. And so I was like telling him, oh, my gosh, you got to watch this movie. It's so much fun. Because he liked the last two Cloverfield movies. Which, by the way, I think out of all of us, I'm the one who likes them the most. I really like both of them. But um, anyway, uh, I was just kind of giving him a rundown of what this was about. And I just tell him, yeah, so then they do this thing with this particle accelerator. And then suddenly the Earth disappears. And he goes oh, did they go to another dimension? And I was like, see, clearly, <laughs> like, this guy who knows nothing about this knows, like, oh, yeah, that's a totally science fiction-y thing to happen, so it makes sense. So, like, whatever. You people just have too much stuff to complain about. It's, it's good. Go watch it. I liked it. It's fun. So that's going to close out this episode of Citizen Dame. What do we all have on tap to see uh, this week? I get to go see Black Panther Tuesday, so I'm really, really excited. Yeah, Black I Panther am, for me this week. Yeah, I'm also seeing Black Panther, and I'm seeing Gringo with David Ayalowo. Oh! And who else is in that? Charlize Theron? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Joel Edgerton. Oh, okay. Lauren, so. what about you? Uh, I have no idea what I'm seeing this week. I do not think I am seeing Black Panther, unfortunately. Well, Aww. unfortunately for Lauren, we will... Uh, well, it depends. Depends on the time we record next week. Um, either way, we will be talking about Black Panther next week, so... Uh, we'll be sharing our thoughts. Um, so there's that. You can listen to us a variety of ways, either at citizendame.podbean.com, uh, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes. If you are listening on iTunes, please consider helping the podcast out by leaving uh, a rating. If you'd like to leave a review, that's great. Uh, rating is, is always appreciated. You can also check us out on our official website, which is citizendamepod.com. Be sure to stop by. Uh, by the time this episode comes up, it'll already be up, but a reminder, the Citizen Dame 5 this week is our top five favorite Marvel movies, so you can explain to us how we've probably been paid by Marvel to like certain things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That'll be up there. I'm still waiting for that check. <laughs> yes, uh, and you can read all of our past content, including uh, Lauren has a movie review up. Uh, I have my What I Did for Love piece on Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. We have other top fives. A lot of stuff going on up there, so be sure to uh, keep the website in your uh, bookmarked. Um, you can also uh, talk to us via our individual Twitters. Uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Journeys underscore Film. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren? I am at LH Business. And Kimberly? At KPierce624. Well, that's going to close out. The dames are going to say goodbye for this week, and we'll talk to you next. Bye. Turn that shit on. Fingers crossed. The earth. It's gone. It's big, blue, full of angry people. Keep looking, you'll find it.